Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Brent Gunning off sick today. So, well done by the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators, frankly. In generating content in a week following the Super Bowl. Nobody hurt again. Like, you got to add that caveat. I don't want anybody to get hurt. Riley, Ridley Gregg, like, he's not hurt. He's fine. Even in the moment, he was fine. And Ryan Reeves, rightly pointing out that in the moment when he realized nobody was on top of him, he got right back up. And I do think that should impact the decision that comes down on Morgan Riley today. I think history would tell you that the injury sustained by the receiving player in these incidents does actually impact the supplemental discipline. Ryan Reeves also talked about like the old school versus new school stuff that, hey, in his day and age, maybe that wouldn't happen. I see, to me, this is not an old school, new school conversation. Well, we did litigate like the celebrating after, you know, the bat flip stuff with Jose Bautista. We did that already. And, and I think most people are of the opinion scoring a goal in a hockey game is very difficult. Hitting a home run in a baseball game, very difficult. Scoring a touchdown in a football game, very difficult. When you do that, you get to celebrate. And there's, some things, I suppose, that are beyond the pale, but I think most people are of the opinion this is no longer like to hand the ball back to the official type of pro-sporting environment. There's ne never going to be a school of thought where what Ridley Grigg did on Saturday is, yeah, oh, that's just part of the game now. Guys just pound the puck into the back of the empty net to celebrate a victory. Now, that's not an old school versus new school thing. That's a guy doing something to elicit a response, a response that he received. Um, maybe a little bit more than he anticipated for a guy that's been uh, a, a lady being candidate before, but them's the breaks. All right, time now for our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, John Scott, host of the Drop in the Gloves podcast, of course, former NHL all-star forward. How's it going, John? It's going good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for doing this. So, yeah, good person to ask about uh, what you what you thought about Saturday's uh, incident between Morgan Riley and Ridley Gregg. Let's just start with that. Like, what did you think of, one, the slap shot into the open cage, and two, the response from Morgan Riley? I like them both. I think the slap shot was appropriate. You're at home. Ottawa's been struggling. You're playing your biggest rival. Some would say your big brother in Toronto. The building's full of mostly Toronto fans, and he's, he's making a statement saying, this is my barn, I'm going to spark this rivalry, and I'm going to bury it with a slap shot from the top of the crease. If it was Nashville, Toronto, maybe that would be a little egregious, but it's Ottawa, Toronto. That's what you want. You want the hatred between the players. I thought it was fantastic. And Morgan Riley, the, the narrative of the Leafs being soft and not sticking up for their teammates and this and that, I think that played a part in it. And he said, this isn't going to happen. And obviously the result wasn't really what he was expecting, but he was responding to, to Greg's kind of slap in the face of the Leafs. So it was good all around. I thought it was a good response. I love Ridley Greg going and doing that and mm. kind of putting a stamp on the Leafs saying, suck it. You know, we, we win. <laughs> I'm the man. You know, take it. And, and it was good. And then the next game will be fantastic. So this is what builds these rivalries. I remember when I jumped Phil. When yeah. I was in Buffalo, yeah, I, was I remember like, this that is one too. Be great the whole season, yeah. And it was a, it was must watch TV the rest of the season, and and this is what will happen the next time they play Ottawa. 
Yeah, that was tough for David Clarkson. But yeah, no, I, 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 I certainly remember that. People uh, of this listening audience certainly remember that. And it's oh man, it sucks so much that there, there's no more Leaf Senators games the rest of the season. We got to wait until. Oh, there's not. Oh, I know that. Okay, that stinks. <laughs> I know it's it's brutal. But yeah, hopefully everybody's memory is long enough that uh, game one between these two next season. We st- we see a, a carry over uh, effect. Like, do you think that the players on both sides? I mean, we heard Ryan Reeves talk about how disgusted he was about the Ridley Gregg slap shot into the open cage thing. But like, do you think deep down they all understand that like that is kind of good for the game? And like, yeah, that there's I, in a in a long 82 game season something that gets our blood boiling. Maybe not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it, it's funny how you can't you can't have it both ways because I, I remember people were up in arms when Austin Matthews was like smiling during a skirmish. Yeah, and now you you have an actual like y- hatred, and it's like okay, I, I I think disgusted is a little strongly worded. I think Ryan's maybe just doing that to protect his job a little bit. He's like, ah, oh, we can't have that. I hate it. <laughs> it, it. This is good for hockey. This is what the fans want to see. They don't like guys chopping it up during the break. They don't like guys, you know fist bumping before and after the games when I played I tried to hate everybody I played against I I wouldn't just go out there and be chummy chummy because the fans don't like it I don't like it I want to go out there and hate my opponent so this at the end of the day I think this is good for Toronto it's good for Ottawa it's good for the game have you ever seen a a celebration like that slap shot into the open cage oh for sure out of frustration out of just yeah pure oh we did it we beat them obviously it gets center stage because it's ottawa toronto and then all that goes along with it but it's it's not the first time it happened it's happened but it's 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 okay i don't know why so many people are so up in arms about it it's it's a rivalry and he's at home and he's just spiking the ball it's fantastic yeah i i i know what you're talking about as far as people being outraged i do think that's an internet thing though john like i i think if you're a real hockey fan and you watch the games you do love it like i I, i've heard nothing but the same sentiment from leaf fans is like yeah oh my god that was great like the battle of ontario it's back on i think what you're talking about is Twitter people who, again, aren't really necessarily even hockey fans, but look at things to get outraged at. I think generally everybody was of the same mindset that you are, that I'm of, like that that, that was that was great for a, a sport that is an entertainment product. Everybody just wants to be a victim. It's like, oh, how dare you do that to me? I'm mm. the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, maybe that plays a part into it. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, it's hockey. If you don't want them to do it, don't let them score. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be down a goal with 10 seconds to let, to go and, you know, have to pull your goalie. So at the end of the day, it's it's Toronto's responsibility, and they're not happy with the results. But I bet you Greg is a hero in Ottawa right now. He has, he's not paying for a meal in that city ever again. Like, he, he just slayed the dragon, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, and the social media team made him uh, the the player of the game, and they had a picture of the big wind up <laughs> in their their Twitter post at the conclusion of the game. Again, it is like, oh, if only we could like manufacture another game between these two teams uh, before the end of the season. But yeah, it's not going to happen but, until next. Yeah, season. next year. Yeah. Next year you win the game, mm-hmm. and then you do it back to them. 100%. You know what I mean? They'll pull their goalie, hopefully, and then you put Ryan Reeves out there or, so, or something. <laughs> you know, and then it goes back and forth, right? Yeah. So that's how. Rivalries are great. Do you remember how many times you fought Ryan Reeves? Speaking of which, like I went back and was looking at your hockeyfights.com. Just once. And he, he had hair me. back He's in the... been scared of me his whole <laughs> career. Like uh, we fought once, I threw a punch, and he just kind of fell down, or something <laughs> happened. But he's, yeah, yeah. he's he's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine. But yeah, he's uh, 
He's one of the last remaining dinosaurs in the game, so good for him to stick around that long. Yeah, no, I was I was going back and, and looking at your hockeyfights.com page, and yeah, I mean, Ryan Reeves had a full head of hair. It was, it was a different time oh. back then, yeah. He was a baby. He was the little guy <laughs> in the league of, like, Steve McIntyre, Brian McGrath. Like, he was the, the appetizer for the big fights, you could say, <laughs> which is strange to say. Yeah, uh, yeah full-on heavyweight now. Um, so part of this is people putting on their tinfoil hats a little bit, and it's aided by the head coach coming out and saying, hey, like, things are a little different when they happen in Leaf games, and especially on Hockey Night in Canada between two Canadian teams on a, on a Saturday night. Do you believe there's credence to that? Like, whether it's the actual officiating on the ice during the course of a game or, yeah, when something rises to the level of supplemental discipline, when the NHL head office is, is looking at how how many games Morgan Riley's going to get. It's tricky because the only comparable thing I could see is Dale Hunter on Pierre Turgeon back in 93. Right. After a goal, a guy gets attacked when he's not even looking. That's the one that kind of mirrors it, and he got 21 games. Yeah. So it's tricky. If it's during the play, it's a passionate thing. Morgan Riley has time to calculate it. He sees him, and then he attacks. A quote-unquote defenseless guy. Greg probably saw him coming, but mm. it's so it, there's a lot of gray area there. I I hope the the platform doesn't play a part into it. Hockey Night in Canada, two Canadian teams, this and that, but. I don't know. I don't know how it goes, but do you really want Morgan Riley out of the game if that's the case? Because he is Toronto's best defender. He brings a lot to the team. So I don't know. I think five or six is is what he should get. It's what he should deserve. I know he's never been fined or suspended, but you can't do that after he scores. Like, you can't. Maybe right away, bing, bing, but he follows them, and then he attacks. So it's just one of those things where... If we're going by the book, he should get 21 because that's what Hunter got. Maybe <laughs> like maybe 15. Down. Give him half. Right. Oh my! <laughs> Toronto's going to be a smoking crater tomorrow if he gets 15 <laughs> games, John. What are we talking about? I think he'll get five, and they'll still be upset. But I think five is a good number, which stinks because Toronto needs to start winning games here. They're they're slowly going to slip into some dangerous waters if they, if they don't start winning here yeah i mean they are sitting in one of the final wild card spots in the eastern conference it's not like there's big juggernauts hanging out behind them and and the, the flyers are ahead of them and and maybe you can talk yourselves into like the the devil's getting some goaltending and re-entering the fray but then like the flyers being that team that you gotta uh keep at bay um do you really think like we're gonna be game like 75 and the leafs are like oh they're tooth and nail to get into the playoffs it's so funny listening to you Leafs guys. They're like, oh, if you would have said 50-some games to the season, you'd be in the second wildcard spot, and you'd be like, oh, we're fine. You know, <laughs> things are going great. It's like you're in the burning house. Like, this is fine. This is perfectly fine. You guys are in the wildcard spot. Like, this should not be happening. Toronto should be first or second in their division, but it's fine. We're in the wildcard mm. spot. But, yeah, I, I firmly believe this will be – you know, up until the 70th game, 75th game, where it's like, guys, we gotta, we got to buckle down or we're going to let this slip. So Boston's not going to start losing. Tampa Bay has found their, their footing. And it's just Toronto seems to just have these issues where they can't seem to play a consistent 10, 15 games in a row. They always have this drama come up of, is it our goaltending? Is it our defense? Is it our toughness? What's going on? Contract situations? How I, our trade deadline? It's just... They can never just stay out of the news and just play a consistent game for a prolonged period of time, it seems like. 
Okay, let me just correct you, John. Nothing is ever fine in the city of Toronto, okay? <laughs> Nobody's once said... Actually, that, that's not true. Uh, earlier uh, this season when the Leafs kind of righted themselves, I was like, ah, it's fine. But no, no, I don't think anybody, especially the, the way this team has played recently, the way the goaltenders have played, has said it's fine. Here's what I've convinced myself of, though. Because, no, the Leafs haven't won the Atlantic over these seven years with Austin Matthews, but they've been securely entrenched in a top three spot in the, in the division. And the, last year at this point in the season, it was like over. They were going to play the Lightning in the first round. It was just a matter of home ice or not. Um, and it made the rest of the regular season anticlimactic. So we've seen that. Like, I'm interested to see something else. And we keep going back to the Panthers of a season ago who were battling tooth and nail right until the final game of the regular season, get in by a single point thanks to Sidney Crosby and the Penguins losing to the Chicago Blackhawks in the second last game of their season, that maybe maybe there's there's a positive to be had for the Leafs for you know, if they're playing important games all the way to the end of the season. I love, I love the optimism. Yeah, no, it's great. Listen, it's nobody is, nobody's saying it's going. Listen, uh, we, we've all lived in the, the 50 plus years since they've won a Stanley Cup. Nobody's, nobody's wagering on things going well here in Toronto. Just saying like in a world of limitless possibilities, is it possible that that plays itself out? It definitely is. I think it plays a part in the goaltending situation more than anything. Maybe you get your goaltender used to those pressure style games, whether it's Samson up, whether it's Jones, whether it's somebody else, we don't know. But get him in a groove, and the team's used to those playing playing those high high tension games because it seems like over the years they they I don't want to say crumble in those situations, but maybe they don't rise to the occasion. So maybe it is a good thing. So who knows? I'm on the other side of the page where you like to ease into the playoffs, mm. get some rest, and focus on the team that you're going to play. You can game plan. You can just gear up for it. But who knows? You look at the St. Louis Blues. You look at the Florida Panthers. They were you know. Uh, they must win games the last month of the season and they go on and make the Stanley Cup final. So what do I know? Yeah. I mean, again, we, we've tried it the other way. So so if if, <laughs> if, if anything, if, if it's nothing other than just a variety, I, I'm down with it. And we also learned that, yeah, home ice advantage ain't all it's cracked up to be either as the Leafs had home ice advantage uh, against the Panthers. Didn't help them much in a five-game series loss in the second round a season ago. They have this horrible, horrible home record this season, John, and they've been outstanding on the road. And it's been a kind of a recurring theme. And there's reasons to, to, to believe that there's like, it's something more than just randomness, right? Like that, that every, especially Western conference team, which you will see in Toronto tonight, St. Louis blues, they get one trip to Toronto every season. And all the Ontario guys get to be excited about that game, get to see their families, I mean, how how real is that when when you came to Toronto or when when guys came to uh, to Toronto that there was a different level of anticipation and uh, of anticipation and energy in those games? No, I think that plays a huge part in it. Toronto is the epicenter. I don't think it's MSG anymore. It's not Boston. It's Toronto. I'm from St. Catharines, so when I played in Toronto, my family, my friends would come, and you want to play your best hockey. So, I think that plays a huge part in it. And then I think on the other side of it, maybe. Austin Matthews has too many outfits to choose from before he comes to the rink and Mitch Marner and Willie Nylander. There's just so much going on in the closet. They're not as focused on the game because those guys, they, they like to, you know, come to the rink and be fashionable. And maybe that plays a part in it. On the road, they bring one outfit and it's just, okay, put that on. Then I go to the rink. So who knows what it is? I don't know, but it seems like they, they can't get it together at home for whatever reason, for as good a team as they are, they should just be uh, unbeatable at home, you would mm. think, because it's, it's so much of an advantage. But, yeah, 
all joking aside, I think that does play a part in it. When, when I would go to Toronto, you'd want to win. You know, everybody's there. It's the biggest lights. It's the biggest stage, and you want to play your best. And that that's huge. It's like you're playing the Stanley Cup champs every night if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you just – it's tough. It really is tough, but that's that's what you get playing in Toronto. Now, you joke about the Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner perception thing, and those guys are handsomely consum- uh, uh, compensated. And you know what? The, they've they put up numbers, obviously. The hockey reference page and Austin Matthews might score 70 this season, but those guys are like, they're outsized stars in, in a league that is certainly not front of mind when you come about, when you talk about like the, the, the biggest sports celebrities in North American pro sports. Those guys are are the, the celebrities. And, you know, Austin Matthews, good buds with, with Justin Bieber, and we just saw it here in the city of Toronto. Do you think that is something that the, the players talk about, about, yeah, hey, like, those guys are good, but the attention they get isn't warranted. And and that it also plays into the, the motivational factor when you talk about teams coming into Toronto and having good records. Yeah, I, I think players get jealous. They see what they're doing, the sponsorships they're getting. There's there's lots of other good players in this league who play in southern markets, and they come into Toronto, and you see Matthews and Marners and the cars they're driving. They're hanging around with celebrities, and their bank accounts are fat because they they play in Toronto. And it's like, okay, you think you think you're all you're all great. I'm going to stick it to you. I'm going to bury. You. I'm going to drive you to the board. That that plays a part in it. Again, that's what comes with playing with Toronto. That's why it's such a hard pull to get players there, but it's also a benefit because you get all of that stuff that goes along with it. I talked to Ryan Reeves. He's like, this is great. You know, I prolong my career. I get the biggest market. This, this is going to be a good thing for my career. So there's definitely a positive, but also a negative where you're, you're the target, man. You go play in Toronto. Everyone's gunning for you because you are the guy. You're the Babe Ruth. You're the Alex Rodriguez. You're going to be the hated guy because of the position you hold. And, I think they're I think they're handling it well. I think mm-hmm. Austin Matthews has done a great job in Toronto. I think Mitch Marner has navigated it very well. When I was playing, it was Kessel, it was Fanuf, it was those guys, and I think they they didn't fare out so well. They were always in the media arguing and bitching and complaining and stuff and this and that. I think Matthews and Marner are navigating it pretty good. Yeah, and and the difference was those Leaf teams stank, right? Like this, yeah. say, say say what you will about this Leaf team in the postseason, and there's only one take: is that they've underperformed. They've won one round uh, and then bowed out in five games in the second round. But they're in the playoffs, and during the regular season, they've at times looked like a dominant bunch. They've set franchise records for points during the regular season. It used to be the case, like during the Fanuf Kessel era, that you you would argue, man, the cons outweigh the pros in a, like a local guy returning home or, or somebody uh, deciding to jump into the Toronto market. I, I wonder if that is changing. And also to throw, you know, another wrench into it. I know you were uh, quote tweeting the, the John Tavares story about him fighting the, the uh, Canadian Revenue Agency about, you know, being improperly taxed maybe on, on the bonuses he received from, from Toronto. Like where are we on the balance of pros versus cons if you just have your, your pick of the litter coming to Toronto to play for the Maple Leafs? Well, I think it depends on where you are in your career. If you're a young kid and you want to have some longevity, you're 25, I don't think you see Toronto as a destination. You want to go and make a little bit of coin. But at the end of your career, like Johnny T did, he this was a perfect spot for him. I myself, I had a chance to play you know, in the Canadian market I didn't. I, I didn't think I could handle it. I, I had a chance to sign with Edmonton for for a few years, and I just said, I, I too many distractions. I was born in Edmonton, and I was like, it just would not be a good scenario. I'd have relatives, you know, old people just coming up to me all the time for tickets and this and that, and 
I was just like, I'm going to go and I, I signed with Chicago and then I signed with Buffalo or another team. So it's, it's a, tr- it's so tricky because yeah, I, I talked to somebody who was saying McDavid probably doesn't even touch his contract because he makes so much in endorsements, this and that. And it's, I don't know, man, I, there's so many benefits. I think the benefits outweigh the negatives when it comes to Toronto at the end of the day. I would like to think so. Also, there's the chance to, you know, actually win. I know it, it's a, an, an impossible uh, scenario to envision, but, like, say you were a part of that team that, that finally brought a Stanley Cup back to this city and you immediately go on Legends Row and you are, yeah, you're you, you just, you are one of the institutional sporting figures in the city of Toronto. I would like to think that the pro-athlete mentality would be welcoming of that opportunity. And, yeah, I, I think guys have, have seen it at, at times uh, that that has been the case, but yeah, Ryan O'Reilly, kind of of your same mindset that he decided. I, I tried that; it, it wasn't yeah. so good. Everybody's coming up to me asking for tickets, and I, I didn't like that too much. It's a lot. It's a lot to handle, especially if you're used to a smaller market like St. Louis. It's it's a lot to kind of handle, and he was the guy, so there was a ton of pressure on him. I think you'll see more like Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton's and Patty Marlowe's and Jason Spezza's. That's the type of player you'll see continuing trying to go to Toronto at the end of their career, the last two or three years, just to maybe grab that cup and have some fun with their friends and their relatives Mm -hmm. who, you know, are from the area. But if I'm a young kid, I I don't know if I want to go put myself in that position for the next seven to 10 years, where I'm just constantly having to deal with this onslaught of just distractions. It's a lot. No, it, and it, I mean, it's a great point about young players and it's why we should <laughs> look at the, the start of their careers. I mean, at least regular season-wise that Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner have had and uh, be even more impressed. Uh, John, this was a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Thanks for having me on. You're doing great. Thank you. Thank you. John Scott, host of the Dropping the Gloves podcast, former NHL forward. He was our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley northlexus.com it's one thing to be a free agent and decide to come to the city of toronto and especially a free agent in the mold of orion reeves where yeah you're not gonna ultimately drive winning or losing although earlier this season he was kind of driving uh losing considering every time he stepped on the ice the goal was going in uh the leafs net hasn't been the case so much i think he's been exactly what you expected out of ryan reeves the last stint that he's had since being a healthy scratch uh, also, he was paid more than anybody else what, like was offering in the open market. He got a three-year deal. He's 37 years old, so a different deal for him. It's quite another to like, have no say in the matter. Like Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner, and those are different instances, right? We're talking about the Ontario kid and Marner. Um, and, yeah, not the almost 70-goal scorer, maybe 70-goal scorer that Austin Matthews is. But Austin Matthews had all the hype, had all the attention, had all the pressure of saving this franchise and immediately steps onto the ice and scores four four goals in his first game and has been nothing but the best goal scorer in the NHL since he was drafted first overall by the Toronto Maple Leafs. We do get distracted a little bit by the, the shiny objects of this team flailing in the postseason to forget about, hey, yeah, some guys choose not to, to, to take on the responsibility of playing for one of the iconic franchises in the National Hockey League a place with all the pressure like Toronto. Austin Matthews, I mean, I, I, I guess they he did have factually a choice in the matter post his entry-level deal, and he keeps re-upping. But that guy had no say in the matter initially and didn't seem to affect him. Now, that being said, the pressure wasn't necessarily on that team 
first kick of the can when they made the postseason in the final week of the regular season and then pushed the eventual President's Trophy champions to six games and a bunch of overtime games there between them and the Washington Capitals. But yeah, it's uh, not for everybody. Certainly wasn't for Ryan O'Reilly, his former team in town tonight in the St. Louis Blues battling tooth and nail to get back into the postseason as they fired their Stanley Cup winning head coach this season, Craig Berube. Um, as we told you earlier in today's show, Creed has added another Toronto show as part of the Are You Ready Tour that will be playing Scotiabank Arena on November 27th. To enter for a chance to win, just text in today's code word on my sleeve to 590-590. Again, that's on my sleeve to 590-590. If you don't win with us, tickets now officially on sale at Ticketmaster.ca. All right, we're continuing to digest what took place in Las Vegas on Sunday. And we had our initial take in the hours after uh, the back-to-back Super Bowl victory by the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday. In the interim, there's been more discussion about, hey, uh, the San Francisco 49ers didn't really understand what was happening in OT. How big of a concern is that post-fact when evaluating how much responsibility Kyle Shanahan should take. We'll talk to Ty Dunn of the Go Long Football Newsletter next as the Fan Morning Show continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. So... In the aftermath of the Super Bowl, reacting in almost real time, it's just hours after the game ended, came on show yesterday and talked about the decision-making in overtime by Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. And what I thought was a, a reasonable explanation, if not one that I agreed with, that, hey, with these new overtime rules, what you want, is you want the third possession because you go touchdown, touchdown, now it's sudden death, and now all you need is a field goal. Post that comment, more has trickled out as far as, like, the players not being of the same understanding that the rules for overtime are different in the postseason, and two, that the Chiefs were of the opinion if they needed a touchdown, they were going to go for two on their second possession either way. So, yeah, feel a little bit differently about placing some of the blame or more of it on Kyle Shanahan after that game. But, yeah, obviously the, the takeaway is, like, the, the, I was going to say it's not normal to have uh, Patrick Mahomes and this run of dominance, but it's immediately following Tom Brady's run of dominance. So maybe this is normal. We're, we live in normal times. It's just, like, this is the way the NFL works. You could just have one team and one player that just hangs over the entire league for a 20-year span, and then everybody else, I guess, compared to that team. Let's talk to Ty Dunn of the uh, Go Long Football Newsletter, which you can get at golongtd.com. His latest, uh, All Hail the King, is is a great, great read. Ty, thanks for doing this. How's it going? Hey, it's a pleasure to be here with you, man. How you been? Uh, I've been very good, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, the, the second half, or at least the last... You know, two and a half quarters of of that that game on Sunday were a little more entertaining than the first half of it. And I'm glad that so many narratives have emerged from it. Like I just said it, it's it's 
I lived through Tom Brady and the Patriots 20-year run and then the 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 one year that he departs immediately winning a Super Bowl with a, a Bucs team and thinking, wow, how lucky was I to live through that? I'll never see that again. And like, literally, like they crossed over. How insane is it that we're living in what could be a 40, like our whole lifetimes are going to be filled up with dynasties? Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen a run like this. And the, the, this is... I try to bone up on my NFL history best I can. You know, I wasn't around for the 50s and the 60s and the 70s to really, uh, to really live, live those teams, live those quarterbacks. This is unprecedented. I, I, you know, the numbers speak for themselves, but just the sheer dominance, the ability to, to just flip that switch within right exactly when he needs to. And, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to talk to people who know Patrick Mahomes best, a couple of his best friends, his high school football coach, high school basketball coach, Jonathan Giles, his receiver in college. And they, they, at first they're kind of speechless, like they don't really know how to articulate it. But then when they come around to I mean, this guy has been competing, maniacally competing in every conceivable sport he possibly can since they can remember. You know, it's not just like he plays sports and he's this multi-sport athlete like we all talk about. You know, in those moments, in those games, whether it's a ping-pong uh, duel with a teammate in Texas Tech, whether it's playing around at golf at Augusta with his buddy Coleman Patterson, whether he's, you know, six years old, little dribblers. This guy has wanted to take your heart out um, since they can remember. So you apply that to football where you're going to face pressure in every conceivable way, you know, play to play, drive to drive. It's, it's a perfect marriage, and he's with the perfect coach. And this was the year to get the Chiefs. I mean, they he had about C-plus C to – weapons around him um so shame on the rest of the nfl for letting them win the third of many many super bowls yeah no it's a, a new york jets cast off catches the the game-winning touchdown in overtime of the super bowl <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense yeah and and okay i i need to apply my perspective on the mahomes what is now a dynasty is is the third super bowl in less than a decade here is that i don't find it annoying yet like i'm excited and thrilled to see what he has in store next and I didn't feel that way about the Patriots. Maybe it evolved to that that level, and maybe it was the whole Boston sports thing. But I I don't know if I'm an outlier here. It's like, are you sick of the Mahomes Chiefs dynasty yet, or is this like, is it a different feel than the Patriots dynasty we just lived through? I mean, if you're an objective consumer of pro football, I don't know how you could dislike this, right? I, I get it if you're a fan of a team that he's torturing uh, for an entire generation. You know, I live in Western New York, so a lot of my yeah. family members and friends are, are Bills fans. And, yeah, they, they grew to despise Tom Brady. And, you know, as somebody who just roots for a, a story, never really a team, it's at some point you got to look at it, you got to appreciate it. I mean, down 28-3 to three, mm-hmm. and then coming back and losing a Super Bowl, coming back and winning a Super Bowl, then going to another team and winning again without Belichick. I mean, that, that's a kind of narrative. And Tom Brady's still to go. I'm not going to race ahead and say Patrick Mahomes is the greatest of all time yet. But, you know, if he wins the Super Bowl next year, we got to have that conversation. I think the conversation we have right now is it just seems like he has a chokehold on this sport, this league, like Michael Jordan did at his apex in the 90s, where everybody else just kind of becomes, you know, bit players making cameos in the great Patrick Mahomes show. He's just vanquishing Really good coaches, really good players. I mean, he's shaping their their reputations. I mean, Kyle Shanahan 
numbers-wise, I mean, he's this era of Don Coriel. I mean, you have an entire league copying what he does. But beyond the football nerds, nobody's going to give a damn. He's the Super Bowl choker. I mean, this is three times now for Shanahan, and Mahomes has a lot to do with that. So that, that's what Jordan did, right? That's what he did to Patrick Ewing and Carl Malone and Jerry Sloan and, and Charles Barkley. He just he just kind of rendered them very, very good. Yeah, all-time greats, but not what they could have been. Yeah, and he's been tortured by both guys, right? Like 28-3 to as the OC of the Falcons, he gets tortured by Tom Brady. And then, yeah, a couple of times now in Super Bowls by Patrick Mahomes. I mean, back to the Brady thing, because that's where we're at now with uh, with Patrick Mahomes is 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 playing this thing out and, and comparing his legacy to the greatest quarterback of all time's legacy. And it's amazing that those guys did cross over a couple of times and two of the three playoff losses are to Brady. Man, Ty, like the the... the the sliding doors moment that I, I so wish, and it might be the ultimate like sports sliding door moment that I wish I could activate is, and Kyle Shanahan has now been on record as saying, hey, when, when I wasn't sure about Brock Purdy's ability to come back this season, I had a conversation with Tom Brady about being my quarterback this year. I, can you imagine a season playing out where we get a third matchup between those two guys and another Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a Patrick Mahomes world. And everybody else is just living in it. And I think what's kind of terrifying is they're only going to get better. I mean, they're, they're going to find a way to pay Chris Jones, to pay Legereus Sneed, I would, I would think, right? I mean, you, he's going to demand a lot of money, but he's worth it. And then beyond that, hmm? discounts. You're, you're going to be able to keep a Duke Tranquil, I think, maybe your price. Got guys like that. And then on top of that, you're going to get ring chasers. You're going to get guys that are 34 to 36 years old who still have one more year to give and can play a role for you. They're going to sign for cheap because they want to be around Mahomes. They want to be around Andy Reid. And, and I think that this, the, the future of the Chiefs is unbelievably bright. That's why I was shocked to see that the 49ers were instantly Super Bowl favorites in Vegas. I mean, the Chiefs ain't going anywhere, mm-hmm. and it all starts with number 15. Yeah, no, it's uh, – yeah. Uh, not that you're going to get like uh, short odds uh, or, or good uh, good odds on on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl next year. I mean, they're still second favorites, but yeah, uh, embarrassing that right, they're not right. the, the favorites to, to win the Super Bowl next season. So we, Patrick Mahomes' legacy and and his goatness is obviously forefront of mind, but like just right behind him is Andy Reid, right, who also has three Super Bowls, and boy, he was he's kind of Kyle Shanahan before Kyle Shanahan, right, with the Eagles and the, the failures in the postseason and making one Super Bowl, but so many NFC title game failures. I wonder, like, okay, we have to see this thing play out, and he is now the oldest coach in the NFL with no Pete Carroll, no Bill Belichick, but, you know, if he ends up with two, three God forbid, four more titles. Plus, he can factually point to those Eagles seasons, especially if we're comparing him to, like, the 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 Bill Belichick Patriots era with no Tom Brady. He actually had real success. Didn't win at all, but, like, had real success with a, a great quarterback in Donovan McNabb, but has success outside of being hit, uh, attached at the hip to, to the GOAT. Like, is there a potential, do you think, for Andy Reid to be viewed as the greatest coach in NFL history. Why not? I mean, you just made the point, and I'm starting to get there. Uh, I, I was resistant because, I mean, you live through those Patriots Super Bowl wins, and you just see the defensive maneuverings of Bill Belichick in key moments, and he just he, he just sees a different game out there in the biggest moments. So I think I'm still at 
yeah, Bill Belichick being the greatest of all time. But, man, Andy Reid's probably going to catch him. And I, I think that you have to take all of that other stuff into consideration. You can't just look at the final ring total because I mean, you can take it a step further. Yeah, he, he, he got to all those conference championship games in the Super Bowl with Donovan McNabb. He also won with Michael Vick straight out of prison. Right. He won with Alex Smith, right? When when he, you know, the 49ers say they're going to roll with Colin Kaepernick. He, they trade for Alex Smith. They they win some divisions. So he's done it with several different quarterbacks. Bill Belichick hasn't done it with a quarterback not named Tom Brady. In fact, it's been quite ugly when he doesn't have Tom Brady. So maybe that should be central to the argument more than anything. You know, if, if he wins another Super Bowl, it's probably time for that conversation, too. And they, well, whether it's Reed as the greatest, Mahomes as the greatest. Hell, what about Steve Spagnola as oh, one man. of the greatest defensive coordinators of all time? I mean, he's just done it in the Super Bowl in big-time moments repeatedly, too. To blitz Purdy and the 49ers as much as they did. I mean, they sent the house in key moments. Nobody's done that this year. Everybody's been terrified to take it to Kyle Shanahan's offense. And they, they were the aggressors. They, they had the 49ers on their back heels, literally. And it, and it started with Chris Jones literally saving, you know, three touchdowns, three big plays. And he's not just running scot-free for the hell of it. You know, that, that starts with a coordinator knowing how to time things up. Yeah, and Spags is coming back next season uh, because, uh, yeah, the narrative around him not getting a head coach interview has only now emerged post-Super uh, uh, Bowl, and, and maybe it's, you know, he's back in the cycle next season. But, yeah, he's going to be back as as the D.C. for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, yeah, they have I, – I, I, I agree with you that they're going to be even better next season, and they're going to have resources at their disposal and they do have a pending free agent in Chris Jones, and and maybe they wave goodbye to him. But I do wonder if you agree, Ty, that like this is kind of proof of concept for the Chiefs to spend the resources on the defensive side of the football because you know Patrick Mahomes is never going to be worse than this as far as his weapons offensively. That hey, if if you just keep him in every game, he's going to win more than his fair share. They drafted really well, you know. I think it it kind of is old fashioned, but. Hell, they, they, they get a Trent McDuffie instead of a Kyrie Elam like they have here in Buffalo. I mean, look at McDuffie. He's taking on Trent Williams one-on-one on some of those outside runs and winning. I mean, that's insane. So you've got a corner like that that's willing to hit and tackle. And Jalen Watkins, Isaiah Pacheco late in the draft. I mean, they just drafted so well. And so I, I get it. Like, Brandon Bean somewhat had a point last year in his press conference when – I think his quote, he'd probably love to have this one back, is he doesn't want to suck bad enough to get Jamar Chase, right. <laughs> which is true. But, you know, spoiler alert, you can get some really good players uh, outside of the top three picks. The Chiefs have done it, right? And that's why we're talking about them every year. And that's how they can just kind of reload and let some veterans go and let younger players ascend into bigger roles. And, you know, obviously they want a weapon. Uh, but Rasheed Rice came on. I mean, he looks like a legit Number two, if not a number one, Kelsey's getting older, but you have to think that they're going to have a plan. They're, they're going to draft well. They're going to maybe just go out there and draft two or three weapons for Patrick Mahomes and constantly reload around the greatest player on the planet. Yeah, uh, tough for Kyle Shanahan that he's uh, lived through a, a couple of the greatest players on the planet, and, and both of them have tortured him in, in different moments in his uh well, uh, coordinator career and now head coaching career. And I I was not too critical of him after the game because uh, I, I, I didn't agree with the, 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 
the explanation as to why he took the football first in overtime, but I understood the thinking uh, around it. I don't know. Since I've seen the almost universal um, understanding that nobody on that Niners team understood the playoff overtime rules and, like, from the beginning of the regular season, the Chiefs were talking about it, I'm of a different opinion. How do, how do you feel about the game planning and 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 the, the blame, whether it should be placed on Kyle Shanahan or not for Sunday? Oh, yeah, I think he deserves the blame. I mean, hey, it, does, it doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, he can scheme things up when it comes to offensive football. I don't, I don't really know if anybody's better than Kyle Shanahan, but, but man, that, this, is, this is why you're judged on the end result in a Super Bowl. You just can't, you just, you just can't screw up like that. I, I, I get it. There, maybe there is another argument. I heard Bruce Arians say he wants the ball. He wants to score a touchdown. He, he would do that. But okay, using that argument, then why in the hell are you kicking a field goal on fourth and four at the nine? Yeah, right. Like go for the jugular, go for the touchdown. Put Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs on on their back heels that way. I, I so to to take the ball and then kick a field goal, it's it's like you know two different philosophies kind of colliding at once. So I mean, I thought both were egregious. You know. I didn't really uh, wrap my own head around it, right? Like, I'm not an NFL head coach. So, you know, when they're doing the coin toss, I'm thinking, huh, I mean, I wonder what you'd really rather have here. But when you do think about it for five, ten minutes, and you're playing Patrick Mahomes, and he just went right down the field on you and just – he would have scored a touchdown. He just ran out of time. Then they kicked the field goal before his overtime. I don't know. I I think it's insane to give him an extra down because that's basically what you're doing. You're giving Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs an extra down to work with because they're going second. They know exactly what they need points wise. And hell, like Chris Jones said, we're going for two if we score. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you score a touchdown, fine. We'll end the game with a two point conversion. So, yeah, it, it doesn't really compute. And then when you sprinkle on top of that, that the 49er players didn't know what was going on, um, that's a really bad look for Kyle Shanahan, right on the heels of blowing the 10 point lead with six and a half minutes left to the Chiefs in 2019 on the heels of blowing 28-3 to as the Falcons offensive coordinator. And basically you take quarterback Niels after that Julio Jones catch at the 22, kick a field goal, you're Super Bowl champs. Man, it's a really bad look for one of the best coaches in football. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. And, and last one before, before that you go, Ty. I mean, I also... And and I, I think Brock Purdy deserves less of the blame than Kyle Shanahan. But, yeah, I thought he did more than enough to win and, in fact, came back in the second half to give his team the lead against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in that Chiefs team. But, yeah, you mentioned the Spags game plan and the number of cover zero and blitzes thrown at him and that he didn't he didn't turn the ball over in those instances. But, like, I think his um, yards per attempt when he was blitzed was, like, three. So, I, I mean, it does have me thinking a little bit differently about his – well, I know his upside isn't the, the same as some of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, but, like, the the idea right. that they can just keep going forward with a guy that, that, that was not able to create the big play when the opportunity presented itself. You know, he played well enough to win. I think he's perfect for what Shanahan wants to do. You know, he can he can process so quickly. I mean, he's going one to two to three. You you can see it. He's got some sneaky mobility. I mean, he can kind of maneuver around the rush, but he's, you know, he's not that freak show athlete that's going to be able to dodge Chris Jones, get outside of the pocket, and then gonna throw across the field. And that's that's what Kyle Shanahan briefly thought he'd need in this game. 
That's why he sold the farm for Trey Lance. And obviously Purdy outplayed Lance in practice, and it was a no-brainer that, that Purdy's your quarterback. But uh, I think that that stuff kind of comes back to bite you in terms of, okay, like you had that temporary belief that you needed that kind of quarterback. Well, that cost you three first-round picks. You can't tell me that they couldn't have used – some talent like that with those picks in this game, whether it's a guard to block for Purdy, you know, that it prevents that free runner or a pass rusher opposite Nick Bosa or a corner kind of following these receivers on all those crossers. You know, that trade did kind of come back to bite the 49ers in this game as, as great as they've drafted and traded for Christian McCaffrey, Trent Williams. You know, it, it, when you swing and miss that badly, it, it, it's going to cost you. And I, I think it did. And I, that's no knock on Purdy. I think he is their answer quarterback. He's good enough to win divisions and conferences, and, and they might even get one of these Super Bowls eventually. Uh, but it just, you know, Lynch and Shanahan have done such a great job building this team, but it's all about the quarterback. Yep. And, and it just goes to show, even if you do find the quarterback, how you get there can cost you in the biggest moments. Yep. Yeah, I imagine what they would have looked like with uh, their full complement of first-round picks. Uh, his latest is All Hail the King, which you can read on uh, golongtd.com. Ty, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thank you so much, man. Enjoy the conversation. Me too. There's uh, Ty Dunn of the Go Long Football Newsletter. I, in the moment, hand up, thought it was like a no-brainer in overtime to take the ball first because, yeah, it's playoff overtime. And, yeah, part of it is I'm conditioned to think that way, but even understanding the new rules, is like, no, you, you know, it's overtime, score first and there's no like you I understand deferring the start of a 60 minute football game because you get the kickoff in the second half and there's no second half in overtime except the second possession is kind of like the second half Kyle Shanahan acted like me honestly and I'm sure this isn't the case like I'm sure it's not the I'm sure Kyle Shanahan really did think about what he wanted to do and play off overtime and understanding the uh, analytics behind getting the ball first or second and having conversations with people who've crunched the numbers and the third possession and yada, 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 yada. But like, is there not a 1% chance that he didn't? And he's just like, yeah, I understand the rules, but it's still football. And I want the ball first. It's overtime. That like, in retrospect, kind of came up with that answer after the fact that, yeah, we wanted the ball third. No, we wanted to score a touchdown, and then obviously Patrick Mahomes is going to score a touchdown, and then we're going to kick a field goal and win the football game. Thinking about the third possession of playoff overtime, when, and Ty rightly points out, okay, if that's your thought process, why the hell are you kicking a field goal inside the 10 then on fourth and four? I I think there's a non-zero possibility, especially when you add evidence that, his players had no idea what the hell was going on. That they just, you know, they're watching the coin flip and saying, oh, yeah, we're getting the ball because, yeah, it's playoff overtime. And obviously, what a what a coup it is that tails never fails in overtime, not in the game. But, yeah, tails never fails. And we get the ball first possession of overtime. I don't think it's a – you can totally discount the possibility that Kyle Shanahan maybe, like, briefly thought it over, but – didn't have the reasoning completely aligned going into the first Super Bowl overtime played in those circumstances. And then after the fact, came up with a pretty good explanation as to why you would choose to have the ball first, but 
not good enough, especially considering the way it played out. And there's just like, it's, it's not just playing the results. It's like, as soon as I, I saw that posited again, like I wouldn't have initially thought of the thing that Mike Florio was the first guy that, that alerted me to the possibility of, Hey, are we sure that you want the ball first in playoff overtime? And I was like, what? Yes. No, that actually makes a ton of sense. And it's not just that, you know, the Kansas city chiefs ended up winning the game with a touchdown after the 49ers kick a field goal, it was, yeah, no, they, they know what they need. They know they need to go for it on fourth down. And clearly, the rest of the NFL is going to do the same thing, given the same opportunity in postseasons going forward. All right, that's it for me. Leafs and Blues tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Who knows if I'll be alone tomorrow, or I'll be with somebody else. Here's what I can tell you. There will be a radio show at 6 o'clock in the morning tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Good morning. Good morning.